Welcome to the Astroholic Explains, exploring the universe one question at a time with Dr. Alfredo and Chris Carpinetti. All right, welcome to the Astroholic Explains. You are Alfredo, I am Chris. Yes. In this episode, I would like to talk a little bit about a phrase that I occasionally hear. Mm-hmm. But more often read about. Okay. Satellite galaxies. Because oh, yes, yes. There must be lots, like probably lots yes. around us, because well, there are lots of galaxies. Yeah. Um, but the satellite ones in particular, I would like to know what's different, what's important about them. Why why do they get mentioned so often? But yeah, um so um multiple reasons, sir. Um just to give you uh little mentions um satellite galaxies uh, um tend to be the smaller object relatively smaller objects that surround a bigger galaxy the milky way is surrounded by several dwarf galaxies and there's this um, um separation so like a, a dwarf galaxy uh can be a satellite galaxy but uh, uh, a satellite galaxy doesn't uh, um, have to be small uh, dwarf galaxy to be a satellite galaxy, just need to be orbiting a much bigger galaxy. Um, there are multiple reasons why they're important. Uh, they're studied because uh, in case they're um, dwarf galaxies, or um, they might have uh, um, be a little bit more primitive. Uh, they not have formed as many stars, uh, so they look a little bit uh, like uh, uh, galaxies uh, might have looked like uh, billions and billions of years ago. And uh, they also help understand uh, uh, their motion can be used to understand the distribution of dark matter, for example. Um, there are a lot of reasons, but we actually uh, know somebody that uh, works on a uh, satellite galaxy and uh, starting a PhD specific on the uh, dynamics of satellite galaxies. Mm-hmm. And we had them. Um, on the Astrolic Live before, talking about Limoncello and Dark Matter. So we have a returning special guest and we're excited to have them. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hey, um, I'm Keyshawn Ivory. I am a second year PhD student at Vanderbilt University in Nashville in the US and I work on satellite galaxies, galaxy kinematics, um, using simulations. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, we've been to Nashville for the Great American Eclipse. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Which yeah. we, we yeah. nearly missed. But we didn't, <laughs> uh, because yeah. I know how to drive under pressure. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, why is it important uh, to study satellite galaxies? Yeah, so I mean, I think my kind of stock answer for this question is always that our own galaxy has them. I, th- I feel like a lot of maybe the reason that galaxy things have always interested me or motivated me is because we live in a galaxy and the more that we learn about other ones, the more we can potentially learn about our own. And um, I would say that's probably my best answer to that question. And also because galaxies, the thing that I think drives my main interest in them besides the fact that we live in the Milky Way 
is something is so wonderful about galaxy groups being the kind of fundamental way that things are organized in the universe. Like these patches of the universe that are fundamentally dense and then like preferentially void. And, and to know that we live in this like hyper dense area where there's all this like stuff, all this matter and getting a better sense of how that's all arranged. It's just like very, very cool to me and, and why I do my job. I, I would agree. I would agree. That is, uh, I feel, uh, being a galaxy person myself, uh, I feel that uh, that it's uh, it's very good. Yeah, it's, might be a stock answer, but it's a very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so in the past, you told me that they have there's something special about their motion. Uh, Kishon, can you tell us a little bit more about that? What can we learn from the motion of satellite galaxies? Yeah, for sure. So. First, we kind of need to think about what's happening inside any given galaxy. So many slash most galaxies we think have like a supermassive black hole at their center. And so if you consider that, as I kind of just said, there's parts of the universe that are preferentially dense and other parts that are preferentially void. So if you're in this one of these really dense regions where you've got galaxies sort of clustering around each other, it's not wild to think that because of gravity, you know, mass wants to go where other mass is at, you're gonna have galaxies sort of falling into other galaxies, merging with other galaxies. And so the next thought then is when those galaxies merge, if they've both got supermassive black holes at their centers, those black holes also could fall to the center and undergo a merger of their own. And so the reason that motion matters in this is because imagine you are the satellite, you're the smaller secondary and you're coming in to this merger. It, it matters all of a sudden what your black hole is doing with its rotation in regard to the stars in the galaxy that you're falling into. Because if your black hole's motion is being opposed by the motion of the stars, that's like counter rotation. Or if it's going in the same direction, that's co-rotation. And that's going to have an effect. At the end of the day, that's going to have an impact on the eccentricity, actually, of the orbit that you end up in when you're doing this merger. And here's the really cool thing about these black hole mergers is that when two black holes get close enough, the main sort of mechanism that that brings them even closer and facilitates the merger is actually gravitational waves. But you need them to get very close for that to happen. And so that increasing eccentricity brings you to that really, really close approach that basically is like that final kick that makes the merger happen. So essentially how quickly the merger is able to happen is impacted by the dynamics and sort of kinematics of the galaxies relative to each other in terms of rotation and then in terms of eccentricity. That is fascinating. I love it that uh, in a way uh, you have a uh, as above, so below kind of uh, level that you have the motion of these galaxies uh, will impact uh, how the motion of uh, uh, the emerging black holes, supermassive black holes at some point in the future uh, will take place. Mm -hmm. And something that I've written recently uh, was about um, there, there is a weird alignment of the Milky Way satellites. Uh, um, that they all seem to orbit, uh, well, most of them seem to orbit on a plane. And uh, the researcher was thinking that maybe there was some weird mechanism, and it just turned out to be that uh, 
it was just a chance alignment. Mm-hmm. And it just make me feel like uh, there's so much more to learn about uh, these, uh, the satellite galaxy. What kind of focus is your PhD going to be on to expand our, our vast ignorance about uh, their motions? Yeah, so I will say on with the um, planar sort of alignment, mm-hmm. I was really I was happy to know that it was kind of a chance thing because in the project I did for my master's thesis, which I've also talked to you about before, in that one I was modeling um, dark matter halos and I had satellites kind of every which way relative to the central, and I was thinking like, man, I really hope that that's not like an invalid thing to have done, but it seems like that was the right thing to do. Um, but on my current project, my PhD project, I, you know, I was talking to my advisor about kind of like what is the end game or like what would the big mm-hmm. final product be? Because I'm I'm very oriented to like what are we going to do with this? And my goal um, in doing this project is, so I told you a little a little bit about how the motions can impact the black hole mergers, and so what we want to do is get a sense of using a simulation, get a sense of how those two properties that I mentioned, eccentricity and then the co or counter rotating status of these satellites with respect to their centrals, the distribution of those, like statistically, how are those distributed? So like to give you a sense of like, or give the listeners like a sense of like the numbers that in, that are involved, eccentricity is kind of like a, a continuous thing on from zero to one. So zero being like a circular, perfectly circular orbit and one being like a parabolic orbit. And so it could be any sort of number in between those. Whereas the co and counter rotating, that's kind of a discrete variable, meaning it's just like it is co or counter rotating. That's kind of a mm-hmm. binary thing. And so together with this one sort of continuous variable and this one kind of discrete variable, hopefully, like fingers crossed, what I can do is make some kind of prescription for how long uh, you could model your black hole merger to take place, knowing like these two values for the satellite and the central that you're talking about. So like ideally you have a sim and you've built this beautiful universe and you want to model a black hole merger. If you could tell me the eccentricity of your satellite that's undergoing a merger and you can tell me if it's co or or counter rotating with regard to its black hole and then the central galaxy, I could tell you like a, a max and a min for how long to model this merger taking place and you can draw from somewhere in there and and model it that way. That's like the dream. That's what we want. Well, let's uh, uh, let's dream that. Let's dream big. Um, okay. Uh, now for something completely different, uh, we actually uh, invited Sean for another reason uh, because. Uh, is part of an organization called Black in Astro that had just uh, received a major prize from the Royal Astronomical Society. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization, your involvement, uh, and how does it feel winning the prize? For sure, for sure. So yeah, I, I kind of wear a few different hats, like my PhD student hat, and then my American Astronomical Society committee member hat, and then my Black in Astro hat. So I'll put on the Black in Astro hat and I'll say, um, Black and Astro is an organization that I am you know, obviously very fond of. My really good friend, Ashley Walker, um, who's an astrochemist at uh, Howard University. Um, we that, we had Ashley on the podcast before. Yes, yes. So, you know, Ashley, you love Ashley. Um, she founded Black and Astro back in 2020 when, you know, in the U.S. we were having this very 
interesting sort of racial reckoning it gets called which is like a for me a very a kind of a reductive term but that's what it was mm-hmm. called um and uh black and astro was founded to give like a platform and give voice to black folks who are in space related fields and industries started out kind of as pure like astrophysics but has evolved to be aerospace engineering people in space law like kind of all different space related things and uh we aim to one like raise the profile of black folks in these fields just like via like our twitter campaigns via black space week like letting people know hey we exist um invite us to give colloquia invite us to give talks like celebrate our science cite our papers that kind of thing uh we also exist to give mentorship and networking opportunities to to students who are black and astro and so we've done things in the past and we have more things planned like um research showcases for grad and undergrad students to talk about their research um things like travel grants for people to attend conferences so we just aim to offer support and build community for black folks in fields where it can often be really isolating to be us and we can find ourselves being the only one or one of a few which is not a great feeling and so to know that there's like a wider community that exists online and you can always find someone who can help you with homework or help you find funding to go to some conference or something just to know that you're not by yourself um that's kind of what we do and then the the award the medal that was so validating i think in a way to get that outreach medal because we know and we've known from the beginning that what we do is valuable but there's a sense of in stem there's a sense that the most valuable work is always going to be something purely scientific something science oriented something that's just about doing the science and that any kind of equity work is always going to be secondary that's how it feels a lot of the time that people are sort of punished for spending time doing equity work when they could be doing science but to know that the Royal Astronomical Society sees us and sees what we're doing and deems it worthwhile and and worthy of an award it's just it's nice to know that that's kind of how the community is perceiving our work and that um I'll say that the validation comes from within it comes from us knowing that what we're doing is worthwhile us talking to black students and hearing how much they appreciate us but knowing the field response is so positive is it gives me good feelings going forward you know that's fantastic yeah that is um, you are doing fantastic job uh, and uh, i look forward to seeing you uh, at the national astronomical meeting in cardiff yeah so last question um what would you like to do after you finish your phd Oh, such a good question and something I think about all the time. So, if you had asked me this in like 2016 or any time before that, I would have told you, "Oh, I want to get a postdoc and then I want to be a professor and do the whole academic route because I really thought I really truly thought that's what I wanted." But then in summer of like 2017, I did a research internship. I was at Harvard for a summer and I had a really great time, but I remember one day in group meeting I kind of like looked at my advisor who was this incredible just like award-winning amazing guy truly. And I was thinking to myself, wow, like he is sort of the archetype of what success looks like in academia in this field. 
if I woke up in, you know, 30 or 40 years and I was him and I was doing what he was doing, I don't actually think that I'd be very happy. And so I went back after that gig was up, I went back to uh, school. I was in Texas at the time where I'm from. And I panicked, I spiraled. I was like, what do I want? What I thought I wanted is not what I want. I kind of went back to my roots a little bit and was like, okay, what got me into astronomy? What did I like about it at first? And I kept coming back to the imagery and a trip to a planetarium that we had done when I was like eight or nine or 10 or something. And I thought, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe what I really, really, really like is talking to people about space, showing people space and getting the general public kind of interested in space. And that was the beginning of my now current sort of goal of being like a planetarium director. I now dream of being sort of the liaison between professional astro world and the general public. And I just, you know, I'm a fervent believer that doing all of this research is not valuable if you're not able to communicate it to everyone else, because this is a universe that we all share, like we all live in it. And so everybody needs access to all this amazing information that we're finding out. It, it means nothing if people can't access it. And so my now dream is to direct a planetarium and be sort of responsible for representing astronomy to the general public, to as many people who, who could possibly be interested. That's what I want. That is an amazing goal. Yeah, and uh, aiming to that, that uh, we need to communicate uh, uh, astronomy and just science in general to make it worthwhile, because otherwise, uh, what is the point? Uh, not just uh, stamp collecting, we need to involve everyone. That is absolutely fantastic, everything that you do. And thank you so much for taking the time to tell us uh, all about satellite galaxies. Of course, my pleasure. I love talking about it. <laughs> uh, if people are looking for you online, uh, where should they look? I would say main place. Uh, I'm on Twitter all the time, at Keyshawn Rance. I'm there always. I also do, I have a YouTube channel. It's under my name, Keyshawn Ivory. There's stuff, random stuff there, like cocktail videos. I like to make cocktails from time to time. Uh, I sing, I was an acapella group in undergrad, so I'll do, I'll post a cover there from time to time. That's a fun place to find my sort of non-astro exploits, but for astro stuff, definitely uh, my Twitter. Awesome, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Of course. Thank you so much to Kishon for coming on again. Yes, uh, thank you so much, uh, and again. Kishon, our first return guest. At least on the podcast. For the, from the Astronic Live to the podcast, I think, yes. Uh, and uh, again, uh, Kishon and all of uh, the people at Black in Astro, congratulations again for winning uh, the Royal Astronomical Society Prize. And uh, yes, uh, thank you so much for the time. And thank you so much for our listener to take part on this uh, little journey about uh, and around uh, the big galaxies and uh, looking at the smaller and uh, peripheral galaxies. Peripheral galaxies. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. See you next time.